Well, 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 hello everyone. This is the Localization Podcast. We are back with a new episode, number 49. This is Andre speaking as usually. And for this episode, my guest was Stephanie Cardwell Howell from the Reddit Localization team. But here's a warning right away. What you're not going to learn in this one is anything about the Reddit Localization program because we, of course, didn't want to discuss the things. Instead, what we focus on is something more general, which hopefully will help a lot of the people, and that is relationships. A lot of the things that we do, especially if you want to grow in your career and you start managing people and working with clients, well, everybody works with clients most of the time, you need to think about your relationships that you have with people. And it's something that I'm still learning (laughs) as I'm saying this. Stephanie joined Reddit recently, so she will share how she thinks about building relationships when you're in a new workplace. Then, of course, how to build a trust, the importance of company culture, and the final question, whether building and maintaining relationships is actually for everyone. That's it from me. Let's get right into episode 49 with Stephanie, and let's go. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for finally making it. For starters, maybe tell us where you're joining us from. I'm based in Colorado, and I'm joining you from my home because I work remotely. Yeah, and I'm originally from Chicago, but I moved to Colorado like eight years ago now, and I love it here. It's a gorgeous sunny day outside, actually. Where exactly do you work? I work at Reddit. What exactly do you do there? I I lead the localization program at Reddit. I think that you joined the team only recently, right? It's not like you have years of experience with them. No, no. I joined last summer. Um, Previously, I was working at a company called Alteryx, which is a data analytics company. Then before that, I was on the vendor side working at LSPs. But now that I've made my jump into tech, I'm never going back. (laughs) What what is so exciting about tech for you? I think that starting off on like the vendor side gave me a really good foundation to have an understanding of like the inner workings, like a localization project from end to end and mm-hmm. and understanding all of the just like the mechanisms and like the people that end, end up touching your project from like the project managers to the linguists to the file engineers. Um, and so I think that was a key part of like building my expertise in the in the industry. But being in tech, I love the challenge of building the localization program from the ground up mm-hmm. um, and being sort of like the advocate for localization within a company. It just, it gets me a lot of visibility into other teams. And so where, you know, if you're on the vendor side, previously I was really focused on, a, on two clients Mm-hmm. Um, when I was uh, a program manager and it was just, I managed those projects and that was it. Now on the tech side, I am managing software localization, marketing. Um, I partner with our legal team, our community team. And so ever since I've made that jump, it's kind of opened my eyes to different areas of the business. Mm-hmm. And it helps me learn more, which I love to learn. If I'm not learning something, I'm very bored. And so within tech, I I just feel that I have a broader scope of work, um, which is really enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. Would you say that in the tech world, like the thing that you like is also that things change a lot. So it kind of like forces you to learn more. I think like I would say that the learning opportunities are probably far 
bigger. And like you mentioned, like it's cross-functional rather than just working on the LSP side. You definitely have to be flexible. That's for sure. I mean, change is constant, especially, I mean, it depends on what kind of company you join. You know, when I joined my last company, Alteryx, it was right after we IPO'd and it was just a rocket ship. Like we are opening offices left and right and like internationally that is. And you really have to be flexible with change as well as with that rapid growth because, you know, um, especially when companies have their eyes on international, you get busy. Which, which is a good thing for me, but definitely not mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. So would you, there's a lot of discussion, you know, like what is better? Is it working better to work on the client side or working on the vendor side? So now that you have experienced both, I mean, what would be your, I don't know, recommendation or what do you think are the pros and cons of working on either side? I think it depends on the person. Some people thrive on that vendor side. Like they're great consultants, they're really great problem solvers, and they understand how to speak to people, whether they're um, somebody like me with localization experience, or if you're working with an enterprise that doesn't have an in-house localization staff, and you really have to like handhold them a little bit more. And so some people really excel in that environment. And then working on the tech side, it is similar in the sense that education is nonstop, you know, evangelizing, you know, localization and, and what it is. Um, especially if it's a new function within a business. Some people are like, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> what is L10N? Why are we paying you a salary? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think, I think the pros and cons aren't the same for everybody. And so for me, the biggest pro is just the cross-functional impact that I can have on a company. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a lot of visibility with, you know, senior leadership, because everybody's interested in how their team, you know, is achieving their international goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I really like that. Um, yeah. So it, it just depends on who you are, I think. Do you think that localization on the client side is really kind of like a glue between different departments of that company? I, I think it can definitely be seen as a glue. Um, I, I mean, there are, there are a couple of other teams that I think act as like those shared services, you know, that work you know, sometimes companies will try to like pigeonhole you and say, okay, this is what localization is. And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times that always starts within product uh, because when a company is thinking about going international, it's usually the software team, um, whether engineering or the product management team that are like, okay, we need to internationalize our product. Um, but then as soon as you start talking about then, you know, marketing will raise their hand and say, hey, no, what about us over here? And so, um, you know, I, I like to say that localization is like one of the foundational pieces because it touches or it should touch every area of the business. Um, even when, even things like HR, you know, when you're hiring internationally and maybe you need to localize your training because there's a lack of English fluency with your new coworkers that are being onboarded, like it touches every single aspect. Um, and that's the part that um, I get excited about, about teaching people because it's not just, oh, you're going to work on product and you're going to translate some UI strings. It's much more than that. Right, right. So let's go back to the basics to your early beginnings. So my, my usual question is, how, how did you get into localization? So my best friend growing up, she's Colombian. And I used to spend a lot of time with her and her family, like her parents are like my second parents. Um, And so that's where I first started learning Spanish. And I ended up just loving the culture. And I decided to major that in in undergrad. 
Um, and I volunteered in Ecuador and I was just really excited about trying to find a career um, within language. And at the time I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with a Spanish degree? Like I didn't really want to be a teacher. I wanted to do something else. Um, and around this time towards like my junior, senior year of undergrad, I started learning Italian as well. And I studied in Southern Italy at the University of Salento and fell in love with Italy, first of all. Like Italy definitely has part of my heart. Um, and I'm hoping to go back there now that uh, international travel is up and running again. But I was very lucky that at my senior year of undergraduate, our university decided to open up a master's program in localization and translation. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I had this grand vision that I was going to be an expat. I was going to move to Europe and I was going to be a translator and like live this glorious life. Um, and then I got my first student loan bill and I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm in so much debt. You know, I have to find something that's a little bit more lucrative uh, than being mm. a translator in Europe. And so I started just looking into what are the roles that I can do outside of translation? And that's when I found like LSPs. And um, that was really the start of my career because I wanted to do something that I actually liked. <laughs> and I, I, love, I love language. I love being able to work with people from different cultures, um, being able to learn from them um, and just help a, com a company thrive. It's just like a perfect mesh of like my passions. And so I guess, yeah, that's how I got started. It feels like mm -hmm. a long time ago now. I feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering about the, you know, like your decision not to go the translation route because you mm -hmm. thought that the rates were that bad. Did you, did you have it confirmed? Because when I started, and I think maybe, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't want to ask about your age, but I started maybe, hmm, now it's like, what, 16, 17 years ago. <laughs> and I know that when I was working at Moravia as an engineer, my colleagues were telling me that the translators, their friends are making like a ton of money. Maybe it was at that time. So did you really have the, the, the idea that you wouldn't be paid enough as a translator? I think, I think it was a little bit of, there's, there are a couple of variables in play there. I think the biggest one was one that when I was trying to get translation projects, I was in the U.S. Um, and obviously, as a native English speaker, there's not, you know, a huge need for people like me in the States. And secondly, I was really, really overwhelmed at trying to figure out how do I get a visa? How do I get to Europe and stay there and get, you know, a, a career started? And so it was a combination of the projects that I was working on were not... Um, paying as much as well as just, I just was like, how do I even do this? Like, am I just going to move alone? Um, and so that's why I just had to change gears a little bit. Would you consider moving to Italy in your current like position? Like, because you can work remotely technically, but now you have a different, like you have a family, right? You have a, you mentioned a husband. So is, is that still somewhere in the back of your head or no? Like, are you like settled? Like USA is forever. <laughs> USA is definitely not forever for me. Um, my husband and I were talking about uh, maybe sometime in the future, um, moving to Germany. He only speaks English. And so it would take him a little while uh, to learn a new language. And yeah, we were thinking about Germany. 
But yeah, we're definitely open to moving to Europe. It's just, it's a different lifestyle. Um, there, I think there's different values compared to the U.S. And I'm actually taking him on a Euro vacation uh, in September. So it'll be his first time in Europe. And we're going to try to um, hit uh, London, Paris, Florence, Venice, and Munich for about two and a half weeks. And so um, mm. I'm going to try to give him the lay of the land in Europe to right. see if there's any country that sparks his interest or maybe some food that he loves more than, than anything else. I see. I see. But why did you? change from Italy to Germany? I think the economy in Germany is a little bit stronger. Mm -hmm. um, there's better English fluency uh, mm -hmm. for my mm -hmm. husband. And I've never been to Germany. So this is just like preliminary, my husband and I having a conversation over a glass of whiskey, trying to figure out, you know, where could we envision ourselves in the future? Um, you know, and, and one of the other big things is, you know, for my future children being able to attend a university that's not going to have them in debt until they're, mm -hmm. you know, 45. And so I think I'm personally really invested in my children experiencing different cultures and learning different languages. And so I'm really hoping to ship them off <laughs> to Europe for school. Uh, and I'd like to be there as well. So yeah, so it'll be convincing my husband of just the, um, the differences between countries. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about Asia as, as another, you know, culture to the mix? So I have not as much, mainly because I'm hoping um, that, it's, that Europe is a little bit closer um, to, my, to where my family lives um, in the U.S. I've been to Japan. I spent a lot of time in Japan in my last company, specifically in Tokyo, um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful country. I actually was able to, uh, one of my trips out there was during the cherry blossoms. And oh my gosh, like once in a lifetime, I, I timed it perfectly. I don't know how it happened, but it was just remarkable. And, um, but that's really, I've, that's the only country I've been to in Asia. I haven't really traveled, you know, elsewhere and it's on my bucket list for sure. But I feel at home, you know, have you ever been to a place where, you're just like sitting outside, you know, drinking a beer or a cup of coffee and you're people watching and, and you just feel like at peace. I don't feel that way in the U.S. Um, it's, it's much more chaotic here. And there's also not kind of like that outside as much um, as there is in Europe. Like right now in my house, I cannot walk to anywhere. Like I can walk outside, but it would take me 45 minutes to reach a coffee shop. You know, and it's just, it's just a different, I think it's a different flow. And so, yeah, Europe is just, there are so many places where um, it just feels right. And so um, I do have to expand my travels to Asia, but yeah, I love Europe. <laughs> Let's start slowly moving towards our main theme of our interview which we decided and agreed that it will be about relationships because you told me that that is one of your strongest if not the strongest <laughs> suite so maybe let me start by asking you that why why do you think you are good at building and managing relationships well i think it's a necessary skill set mm -hmm. if you're running a localization program in a company um, because like you're primarily you don't have a lot of direct authority. 
you have to influence others. And Mm -hmm. in order to do that, you really have to um, have excellent communication skills. Um, You have to um, understand other people's motivations, what drives them and what they really need. And so to me, it's, I don't want, I don't know if it's my best quality. Maybe I'll ask my peers about that at our next, at our next like feedback cycle. Uh, but it is like one of the skill sets that I continue to try to develop. Um, you know, for example, uh, last December, I took a course at MIT on uh, cultural awareness uh, for business executives and um, it's all about how do you communicate with other people? Um, and so that's just something that I keep, I keep trying to improve upon. Um, but I just think it's a vital, um, skill set. Well, for really anybody in business, but, um, definitely somebody in localization. So what is the, what is the main thing that you remember from the training from MIT about the communication? Have you ever read the culture map? No, no. Okay. Well, you should go read it because it, <laughs> It is, it is excellent. It is a book or? Yes. And basically it talks about how different cultures have different communication styles, um, you know, based on just like their country and their culture and how their culture shapes language and, and mm-hmm. how um, important trust is, how important leadership is. Um, and it makes you take a step back as somebody who works internationally and understanding that maybe when, when somebody in Germany, for example, is being very direct, they're not doing mm-hmm. it in a negative way. Right. That's just how they communicate. And right. when you can understand that, it helps build the communication styles. Or for example, when you're doing business in Japan, you building that trust is imperative to being able to conduct any business there. Mm-hmm the sales cycle might take a little bit longer because you need to build that relationship, um, especially face-to-face. It helps you just take another perspective of how do you best communicate to other people? Even if you're speaking the same language, mm-hmm, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you need to adapt your communication style to, to accommodate others. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm always curious about, you know, like these tips for communication and how to be a better leader or be better at managing relationships do you think like the people who are good at managing relationships are mostly thinking about the others versus thinking about themselves? Because to me, it's like, like from, from what you're saying is that like, we should always be aware of how other people talk and what is their, I don't know, culture, what is their communication style and so on and adapt to it. But why are we the ones adapting and not the other people adapting to us? <laughs> <laughs> if it makes sense. Well, Everybody learns how other people communicate. I think, I think that's something that, you know, you can share at a company as part of like your, your training um, personally. Um, but for me, like first and foremost, I have to hold myself accountable. If I want to be a leader at a company, then the first person that needs to make that effort is me. And if somebody is, I don't want to say if they're not adapting their communication style, but if they're coming across in a negative way, then that's my opportunity to give that person feedback because, and have a conversation about it. Because, you know, if you say, hey, you know, I took, you know, what you said very, I don't know, came across wrong, or I don't think this was your intention, then you build that understanding. One thing that I like to do is even, even when you're working with people in the US, where we all have at least, I don't want to say the same culture, because obviously, East Coast to West Coast to the South, we're all very different. Um, 
But the first thing you can do is just ask them, how do you prefer to communicate? If you are managing somebody, you ask them, how do you prefer to receive feedback? Some people thrive on getting that like public recognition. Other people get really embarrassed and they hate it. Uh, and they would rather receive that positive feedback on like a one-on-one. -on -one. And so just asking those questions and understanding who the person is, like as an individual, can really help take that next step in your relationship and effectively communicating with each other. This to me is quite interesting and also maybe important because I think like asking the people and finding out everyone's preference, I think is more more valuable than, I don't know, let's say following like the cultural generalization, right? Like if you say, okay, you're German, so it means you're going to give me a straightforward feedback <laughs> and I'm not going to get offended, but maybe that individual person is completely different. Do you think like this would be, I don't know, your suggestion or your tip for everyone like to always ask like explicitly, like how would you like to communicate or like, what is your style? Definitely. Yeah. Mm. I because everybody's different. Um, mm. Like the, the cultural awareness to me is more of a guiding mm -hmm, post mm -hmm, to, because some people, if you, if you only have one viewpoint and you've only see within yourself, you won't understand other people. And to me, um, learning about different cultures helps open your eyes to like different perspectives, but that doesn't mean that everybody falls under like that specific umbrella. Um, and so, yeah, definitely just ask, you know, mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with just, you know, taking that step in. And personally, when somebody asks that, that makes me feel like, wow, they're really invested in right, me, right. you know? Right, right. It, it's, it may seem like an awkward question, right? Especially like if you meet someone for the first time, hello, my name is Stephanie, how do you communicate? <laughs> but, but you're right, right? It, it, it's it, it's kind of like a deeper question. So what do you do with all this information? Because I know that before we started, I asked you like, if you took some notes about, you know, our interview, about the questions, if you prepared, but let's say you ask people around their, their communication style, do you like keep mm -hmm. that information somewhere or do you like try to memorize it? Because it, it's kind of like the more people you communicate with, I think it's like, like more stressful for you to actually like keep an idea like how I should communicate with each one. And then the question, the second question would be, how do you communicate with a mix of people like who are in a group and you're talking to a group, but you know that there are different people with their different communication preferences? So um, I do take a lot of notes. I actually uh, write down everything because I'm, I'm a psycho. Like um, I don't like to type things down. I like to write, like handwrite them down um, because it helps with my memorization. And so um, initially I will take as many notes as possible. And during meetings, you know, if I'm typing, um, up notes, I will always try to annotate those things, um, so that I can, you know, recall them or look back on them. And so I do take notes. I just don't reference notes, uh, because then it like kind of throws me off a little bit. And for communication styles in a group, um, I try to be as neutral as possible. And I, I try to speak slowly, um, especially, um, for me, if I'm, you know, talking to my team and their native languages isn't English, but each of their native languages is different. I try to speak slowly. I try not to use too many, you know, colloquialisms or slang, you know, things like that. And um, just try to be as, you know, positive as possible. Um, like there are basic guidelines that I think are important because you can't, you can't adapt to every single person at once, you know, but I think even just recognizing 
your communication style is important, you know, and not reacting emotionally and taking the time to pause and to think before you respond. Okay. Maybe one thing that we should have maybe started with is how would you even define a relationship with someone, especially in the workplace? Uh, because I think that when I asked you initially, you, mm-hmm. you, you told me that it's more about like communication and, you know, like um, understanding their expectation, like, you know, trying to provide them value. These are like very, I don't know, let's say rational, you know, aspects of uh, relationship. What about like the personal, like, like emotional, like, are we trying to become friends with the people or, or no? That's a difficult question. (laughs) I mean, it's not that I don't want to be friends with people. Mm -hmm. I just don't always think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, Meaning we can be friendly in the workplace, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to call you to hang out and go like watch a movie or something, you know? (laughs) But I think part of building that relationship is understanding them as a person. I don't want to say it's like the same thing as being a friend, like being a friend, but I also do want to be that type of person, at least with um, my close peers that when there's something wrong, if they need something, they will come to me and, and they know that I will do my best to help. And so there is like a, like a gray area of being friends and being coworkers. I don't really like how companies say, oh, we're family here. Like right. that's really b- bizarre to me, <laughs> but you know, I do, I do want to have like that relationship where, you know, if my colleague um, has a problem or their project is running late and they need help, they know that I'm the person to reach out to. So it's working in the in an, in a company like that. It, it just depends. Um, it also depends on the company culture as well. Luckily, in my career, I've have had um, for the most part really positive company culture and that values you know building those relationships, even even if you're not the best of friends. Now, I will say I I have made plenty of of really great friends um, through work, but you know n- not everybody. Um, not everybody gets that that title. <laughs> right, right, right. You have you have to earn it. But but do you think that like being somewhat friendlier or like having someone as a sort of like closer person, closer peer or slash friend at a workplace is a good thing or a bad thing? I think it depends. I think a lot of times it's a good thing because you want to be well liked, and if you're well liked, then I think you perform better. Um, I think you're given more opportunities. Mm-hmm to excel and, and possibly even like promotions and things like that than if you're not well-liked. And I would say there are some disadvantages, but whenever I think about that, that's primarily in a more toxic environment where people are taking advantage of your kindness. Mm. Um, and so I don't want to say that that always happens, but it is something to be aware of as well. <laughs> so you joined Reddit only recently. We, we talked about this. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how did you start building the relationships at your new workplace? Since it's quite fresh, I think. Yeah, so um, I would say at any new workplace, you just have to, the first step that you have to do, um, besides, before you even look to build relationships, you have to understand how the business works. If you don't understand like the core aspects, like what are your company goals, then you're not going to understand how to build those relationships. Um, you know, especially, uh, my last company was data analytics and now I'm at Reddit. And those are two very different organizations, um, with different specialties. And so 
for me, I would always tell somebody like your first week, once you're going through all the HR onboarding and things like that, you should be focused on like, what are your business objectives for the year? Like, Mm -hmm. what are they trying to achieve? Are they expanding into a certain country that you need to focus on? Um, Which team needs a lot of assistance? And that's where I would start. And then from there, I would understand, you know, if you, if you sit within product, obviously understanding who, is the, who are the people who built, you know, the tools or, or what have you of, of from your first day and then start expanding elsewhere. A lot of times what I like to do is I will just schedule one-on-ones with people. Like I go into our HR systems and I'm like, okay, who, who's who? And sometimes I'll just schedule a quick, you know, 15 minute chat. And especially, you know, working remotely, it's not the same as if you're in an office and you can just go get a cup of coffee in the kitchen or, or, or you know, go look at somebody's desk or something like that. Um, and so sometimes just scheduling a quick chat and be like, hi, you know, I'm new. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to learn more about you. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. If there's any opportunity for us to work together, you know, things like that. And I also say that I'm an extroverted introvert. And so that I'm okay reaching out to people and be like, hi, I'm Stephanie, who are you? But I'm actually super introverted. Okay. And so, you know, those are the first steps, like understand your business, understand the key stakeholders, and don't be afraid to reach out. Okay, you have to explain to me the definition of an extroverted introvert. (laughs) Because I don't know, maybe I'm the same, or maybe I'm the opposite, who knows? So um, I think the biggest difference between extrovert and introvert is, like, when you go, let's say it's a Friday night, and you're going to go to a party. At the end of the night, are you just exhausted from talking to everybody? And like, you're just ready to go home. We had this discussion a couple of times on, on previous interviews. And yes, I, th- I think I know where you're going with this is that extroverts, let's say, gain power and yeah. energy from being yeah. with people and introverts get exhausted. But I'm going to complicate this for you because to me, a lot of the times how I feel at the end of the night depends on how the night goes. Mm-hmm. So if I feel like I'm really like, like, like having a good time with the people and like, feel like I can be myself, express myself, we're having fun and I'm making people laugh or something like that, then yes, I I would not want the night to end. I would want to do anything with the people. But if I feel like I'm I'm like quiet, I'm shy, I feel like maybe I cannot be myself, I would be like, please let's get this over with. I just want to go home and sleep. So I mean there's like I said, everybody's different and there's not like one mold for every person. Um But yeah, like there are times where on the weekend where I literally want to do nothing but read a book and hang out with my cat. Like nobody talked to me for the entire day. So yeah, so it just depends on the person. So going back to how you started making and building relationships at Reddit, you mentioned that you would schedule some calls or something like that. So would your initial calls with people be mostly about their work and business? And do you think it's too much if you start asking, I don't know, personal questions on the first thing? Because we were discussing this with some other folks from some other podcasts, like what are the best topics to make, I don't know, new friends? It it was not not a work-related podcast, but my idea was based on my experience that I know that initially when you meet someone, it's very awkward to start talking about, I don't know, like what is your childhood trauma or something like that, (laughs) like fears. But at the same time, I know from my experience that actually asking these deeper questions actually opens up people if they are comfortable like sharing these Mm -hmm. these things, because it's what makes us kind of like vulnerable 
and you feel like you're way, way closer with that person instead of just focusing on, I don't know, work or business or like the usual topics, like, I don't know, what is the weather and what, I don't know, what is your favorite movie? So I can't really talk about specifics at Reddit, unfortunately. Of course, just in general. Um, I mean, in general, I don't think I've ever asked a super personal question, but that's probably because I, I don't think I would like to be asked unless we're friends, you know? Well, actually, no, that's not true. Even if we're Even friends. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not. It's not for me. I think there's different ways of, of building relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and the foundations to me would just be trust mm-hmm. um, and accountability. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I could dig into those like super deep questions unless they're like fun, deep questions like what's your spirit animal or something like that. <laughs> so you, you talked about trust. To me, trust is very important in the workplace because, you know, like, a lot of the work that we do depends on like other people doing their stuff as well, you know, so you need to, you need to trust the other people that they'll be able to, to pull their weight. So I think I was also saying several times that to me, trust is mostly built by actually delivering and keeping your work. So, so how, how does trust get built for you and what does trust mean for you? Well, I, I, I agree um, with what you said, and I'm trying to think about it from like a localization perspective. Um, for me, like think about it as localization inherently in an enterprise is about helping others to deliver their goals a lot of times. Um, so if you're supporting marketing on a local campaign in Italy, for example, if you don't like meet their deadlines and keep them apprised, they lose trust in your ability because then it affects their bottom line. And so for me, building trust is showing up and proactively communicating, you know, because things happen, um, but it's about being able to say, hey, you know what, this is going to be a little late because of A, B, and C. And that's how you build trust is by delivering on and doing what you, what you agreed to. And I think, I think being open and honest is the first step. Okay. We talk about the extroverted introverts. Is there a different approach to building relationships with introverts versus extroverts? Is that even one thing that you ask the people? Like, are you introverted or extroverted? Or do you just try to pick it up from their behavior? No, I just try to pick it up um, from their behavior. And I mean, it's not, it's not something you're going to like, everybody's walking around with like a little sign of like, this is my communication style. This is how I prefer to hang out with people or like, I love hugs or don't touch me, you know, like, and so I think, I think it's just something that happens over time mm-hmm. and it's something that you just have to, to work towards. I think there's value in learning about the person as an individual and making like that commitment to understanding more about them than your first impression necessarily. Right, right, um, right. Is there a different approach to, I don't know, building relationship with your team and building relationship with your, let's say, internal clients or stakeholders? And again, like speaking generally, like how would you approach this different or should it be approached different? Or do you think it's about the same thing? Well, I do think it's different when if you're a people leader and you're Mm -hmm. communicating with your team, um, Mm -hmm. because to me, it's all about understanding, you know, what their desires are, what their career path is, uh, what areas do they need to focus on to get to that next level. And so for me, um, it's much more about how can I, you know, serve them and getting them to achieve like their greatest level. And when the end clients, like, yes, I'm still trying to facilitate and helping them achieve their goals as well. Um, but it's, it's just a little bit different. I want to say I'm not as 
personally invested as I am with my team. And it's just, it's just a different type of relationship also, Mm -hmm. um, where I still want to be seen as like the go-to person, whether you're on my team or whether you're a colleague, there's a different effort and like my motivations are different. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that just kind of changes the working relationship a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that you mentioned the the word effort, what, what this makes me think about is, do you like intentionally try to maintain some relationships? Because so far we were mostly focusing about, let, let's say, like building the relationship, you know, like going from strangers to someone who trusts you and you have some certain relationship. But once you build that relationship, how, how do you actually try to ma- maintain it? Like, is, the, is there different levels, you know, like based on the different groups that you have relationship with? Absolutely. I, I keep going back to like, it depends on the person. It depends on the person, you know, because it does. And, you know, for example, it, when you said that, it made me think of one of my mentors who I actually haven't spoken to in a while. She was on our executive team at the last company I worked with and building that relationship and maintaining that relationship with her, her name's Libby, was definitely something that occurred over many years. And it was a back and forth where there was a project that she was working on and she thought of me. Um, and so she reached out. And so it's always about to me trying to find opportunities to just, you know, step in and say hi, but recognizing that, you know, she was one of our executives and doesn't have as much time, you know, to dedicate to herself or to other things, you know, and so it's being respectful um, and understanding um, that they're super busy. Um, but when you build that relationship, um, I just, I got so much value out of like our friendship, our mentorship. Okay. But like, let's say a, a practical example, let's say talking about your team, you know, like having one-on-ones with your team is kind of like a standard practice, but what if somebody from your team doesn't like one-on-ones and they're more like introverted, would you change the frequency of the one-to-ones or would you just say, okay, like, this is what we do. Like, this is the standard and just please try to show up and do your best. Well, I, we could change the frequency if it's mm-hmm. not necessary to meet. Like there were times where I, ha- I was having an hour long one-on-one for a week, like weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be as simple as a quick check-in because I do want to make sure that they have the support that they need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're not able to directly reach out at the time, I want, I want to have that, that FaceTime uh, to be available for them. And so where my, my focus is directly on you, um, especially, you know, if you're running a super lean localization program, you might have like a million other objectives and you don't always have time to dedicate, you know, to individual teammates. And so that one-on-one time is really like my focus is directly and only on you. And so I do think it's an invaluable, um, opportunity to communicate. And the other thing that I think it is missing if you don't have those one-on-ones is you don't have the opportunity to ask for help to figure out what's your next step in your career um, to give feedback, both. I want to hear feedback from my team and give you feedback as well. Um, like all of that's missing. Um, and so while we could, we could change the frequency, I would really w- encourage them to work towards feeling comfortable on, on at least communicating with me on like, how's your week? Of, you know, is there, mm-hmm. do you have a roadblock that you need my help with? Um, you know, because that could, that could negatively impact whatever they're working on. It could negatively impact their career performance. And I just think those conversations need to be had. Um, and there could be a balance, but they're super important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you building or more like managing relationships when you were on the vendor side? 
when I was on the vendor side, um, it was it was a lot of building relationships via emails and like monthly calls. And I also did try um, to build that personal relationship where um, I reached, it was, it turned out that one of my clients and I were from the same uh, neighborhood in Chicago. I went home from Colorado for Christmas and I reached out and said, Hey, I'm in town. Would you like to meet up uh, just for some face-to-face time since we wouldn't get it? And um, she said, yes. And it was an annual occurrence that we would meet even after I left that previous company, I was going back every Christmas and we would have like a Christmas cocktail and just catch up. And so like, if I didn't reach out, that never would have happened. And that mm-hmm. helped build the trust that helped just build our relationship. You know, she ended up giving us more projects to work on. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes a small thing where she could have said, no, you know, no, it's the holiday time. I'm way too busy, but a quick hour long conversation at a local restaurant ended up taking, you know, our, both our working and our personal relationship. Up. Mm-hmm. Most of the vendors are not so lucky to live in the same neighborhood as their clients. <laughs> you know, like with COVID, you know, like the travel was sort of banned, but now that the restrictions are lifted, do you think like taking the time to, to visit your client in person is a must for the relationship? I don't want to say it's a must, um, but it's very close to being a must. Um, because as much as I love the opportunity of working remotely, there is something that's inherently missing from a face-to-face, you know, communication of just being able to learn more about each other. And it's just, there's just something missing, you know? And so I do think it's incredibly valuable to have that face-to-face time. Now, at the same time, I've been able to communicate with way more people before COVID or during COVID and after COVID Mm -hmm. than before, because Mm -hmm. everybody's able to, you know, meet virtually. And right. so um, I do think there were some positives that came out of this new working environment where, like, for example, we're able to meet, you know, through LinkedIn and um, have those conversations where, you know, it didn't require us to meet in person uh, to build that relationship. And so while I do think there is some benefit to meeting face-to-face, even if you're clients in another country, I still think having this a regular call, um, whether weekly or, or you know, whatever works best for you is something that you should dedicate time to. Even if it's just a quick, all of our projects have been going great. I want to let you know the translations have been excellent. There's no like negative feedback or critical feedback or anything like that. I just want to say that you guys are doing a great job. And here's what's coming up for me. Like even those small, you know, converse, quick conversations can just help stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Well, so far, we're only talking about the positive things, you know, but yeah. I'm wondering, like, if you ever got to a point where you thought, like, the relationship, like, should be ended. Of course. I mean, really? that happens. Hmm. Well, I mean, there, there are some, there's some people that where it just naturally ends, you know, you move on, you know, whether it's, whether it's a friend from college or a coworker from, you know, your, your previous experiences, those those relationships naturally like fizzle out. And if there is a relationship where let's say one of your coworkers, like your active current coworkers, um, where it's just no longer a positive relationship for whatever reason, um, then my recommendation is to just pull yourself out of that situation and figure out, you know, do you need to work together still? Okay, if so, how do you do that cordially? And if you don't have to work together, 
then just figure out how to set boundaries that maintain your own, you know, personal um, success in, in the position, um, as well as not draining you emotionally either, because that can get uh, really heavy in a workplace that, you know, with all the things going on, you don't need that extra baggage. And so setting up boundaries is super important. Talking about the boundaries and like everything going around, like we touched on the culture before. So I'm not going to ask about the culture of Reddit, but like in general, what, what kind of role do you think the company culture plays in, I don't know, building or maintaining relationships within the workplace? I think a company culture is everything. Um, but at the same time, I also think that we are directly responsible responsible for building that company culture. Like it's not the executive team or the senior leadership team saying, we have a great culture and this is why. <laughs> no, it's me and you making it a great culture and abiding by like our company values. Um, you know, one thing that I used to do um, at my previous company um, is we used to have a roaming uh, localization potluck. So, um, so each of my team members were from a different country and we would always bring in some like a dish that like our mom made or something that was really unique to our individual culture. Um, and we would meet with different teams, like specifically on the, the product and engineering side. And we would use this lunch as an opportunity to get FaceTime with the team so that we're top of mind of why we need to localize their features and understand what's coming up on their roadmap. But also we just wanted to have fun. Like we wanted to sh introduce you guys to um, like an empanada or whatever it is, like, like something that's just delicious and just have a moment to, to eat really good food. And I was lucky that my team, they were all excellent. <laughs> um, and so, you know, to me, that's, that's, that was like how I wanted to encourage us to build the culture that we wanted. Like we loved, we were all very, very food motivated. And so we loved getting together and just chatting over food. And so by mm -hmm. bringing like that, like our inherent team culture to other teams mm -hmm. that, you know, was part of like our company culture, you know? And so, yeah, I hold myself accountable as well for building that culture, not just um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. the website says our values mm -hmm. are, you know? Right, right. But, but do you think that there can be an environment or culture where the relationships are, let's say, not going to succeed, like by default or like, like a toxic I mean, culture? I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's toxic cultures everywhere. There are toxic managers, um, you know, and those are things that you can't, you don't have a lot of control over that. Mm -hmm. um, I would try to shield my team from experiencing any of mm -hmm. that, but that happens. There, there are unfortunately... Um, you know, people who behave differently than I would, um, you know, they step on each other to get ahead um, or they're not honest and they're very self-motivated mm -hmm. where um, besides us having a successful localization program, I would always say that my team is number one for me. Like I want each of them to succeed and not everybody's like that. And it's just the way the world works. Do you try to deal with such people in, in a certain way? Like I mean, if I have to, like, you know, if I have to work with them, then, then you just uh, kill them with kindness and just be a good person and focus and just focus on yourself. You're not going to change another person's behavior, especially if, you know, they are narcissistic or arrogant or whatever, whatever quality it is that makes them 
not your ideal ideal colleague to work with, you're not going to to change that about them. And so you just have to figure out how do we work together effectively um, and then minimize that contact entirely. Just be the best person you can. You can only focus on what you can control. And that's hmm. it's funny that you mentioned that like like you can change change them. Do you, do you think like like once we get to a certain point, like people can change or like the change needs to be triggered by something like really spectacular. Like it's not like something like that you can change through one-on-one, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, once people show you their true colors, believe mm. them. I think, I think people can learn from their mistakes. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm definitely not, you know, a perfect person and I have flaws and, but it's having that self-awareness. Like I can mm-hmm. actively uh, talk about, like what I need to prove, improve upon as a person. And that self-awareness is what will help me, will hopefully uh, keep improving, you know, it's not, but like my personality is my personality. I don't know how much it's going to change really, but some people, they just, they also just don't care. You know, um, they are who they're, they're like so many quotes of like, I am who I am, or if you don't accept me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Like, you know, I think that's a load of nonsense. And so, um, yeah, you're not going to, I don't think people inherently change who they are. I won't say maybe there, maybe there's a, there's a few that can be excluded from that general rule. Do you think that everyone can learn to be good at building relationships? Do you think there's something like a methodology or do you, or is it mostly about, like you said, your self-awareness, like everything starts with your self-awareness? And then you, I don't know, try to bring it to, to other people and accept their self. I mean, I think it depends on the person. I don't think, I don't think everybody cares. For me, it's, an, it's a critical part of my job. Um, and so that's why it's super important to me. I want to understand, like, how can I help you? But not everybody either needs to feel that way because their work is completely different or just personally, they just don't think that way. And um, that's also okay. It's not necessarily a negative trait all the time. And it's just, it's recognizing those motivations, like the, the personal motivations of like, why are you doing the way that, why are you acting in that way? Is it because this is who you are? Is it because this is what you need to do to be successful? I've met a lot of people who are just like steamrollers, but that's what they had to do to, to get where they are. And there's something to learn from that as well. I think you shared a lot about relationships. Is there anything that that maybe I didn't ask you about relationships? Like some some important thing that you want to share? I don't think so. I think I, I think you covered it. I still have some more questions. Yeah, go ahead. I'm ready. <laughs> but these are these are more like general questions that I ask this kind of people. So you work for for Reddit, which is uh, known for for their community. So. I'm wondering, what are you curious about right now? Curious about? Yes. Like you personally, whether it's work-wise, maybe localization-wise, because we didn't specifically talk about localization per se, but I don't know, anything that comes to your mind, you can give us both like work-wise and personal. Well, I guess you're curious about the European culture and (laughs) where to move to. Right now, I am, I'm really just trying to figure out what's my my next step, like I try to, I don't mean next step. I mean, next like learning block. Um, there are, there are different personality quizzes, but I love personality quizzes. And one of those results came out that like my number one trait is that I was a learner. 
Um, and so I'm always trying to figure out what I want to learn next. Um, I like to take online courses or certificates just to keep learning. Even like after college, I was just like, okay, what can I learn next? And so that's kind of for me is like, I'm trying to identify what do I want to focus on? I guess this is both personally and professionally because they kind of relate to each other. What's something that I don't know that I want to learn? Um, like, like I told you before, I was really learning a lot about cultural awareness and communication. And so for me, I'm trying to figure out what I want to learn next. So do, do you have any recommendations for somebody in localization or... I was going to say, first thing that came to my mind was um, try to learn bouldering. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I just discovered that recently and I, I really got into it. And it's something that I never thought about. And I had a similar discussion with, with one of my ex-managers from the last company. So I think after you were saying like, like what should you learn next? I guess my kind of like tip or advice would be learn to experiment, like learn to try things just, just for the sake of trying them. It's not like, like you rationalize it, like, okay, I'm going to learn, I don't know, cultural awareness because it helps my work because I work in localization and I work in multicultural company, right? But just, I would say like, try different things that, that you would never even think about because they don't, I don't know, serve your job or anything like that. It's like, like forget about the rational arguments for something. Mm -hmm. Just try something like totally random, and maybe you will be surprised. Something, but and, and you're really going to like feel very passionate about it. Okay. Do you have like a, a hobby that is like your favorite thing to do in your free time? Well, right now it would be definitely bouldering. Bouldering. Yes. Yeah. And and it's really funny because I didn't think about it, and that that's another thing that maybe give you some guidance. It's about what you used to like to do when you were a child to me, like, like what we do as kids, I think is very important because like when you're a child, you don't rationalize things and you don't do things to, I don't know, look better in front of people or you're not feeling shy or something like that. It's just pure you, I would say. So, and I remembered that when I was younger, when I was, when I was a kid, I definitely liked to climb on everything. I would climb on all the trees and anything like that, you know? And then you start, you know, like going to the school and, you know, first love, breakups, first work, and you work in localization for 16 years. And then maybe one day somebody asks you like, hey, do you want to go try bouldering? And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. And then I tried it. I was like instantly hooked on that. And I, really? and I couldn't stop thinking about anything else. Yeah. And then I kind of like associated it back to what I was doing when I was a young kid. So yeah, I think like, especially if you're like, and that's for what I'm getting from, from, from you is that like you're very job focused, like you really want to do your job well. Mm -hmm. I, I think like trying to sometimes disconnect from the job place, like like that could open up new things for you. I mean, at, at least it did it for me, you know. Like. <laughs> I am going fishing tomorrow. Does oh, that fishing. Count? <laughs> <laughs> is that a new thing? No, no. Uh, I, I like to fly fish. Most what, is, what is a fly fish? Fly fishing, um, it's a type of fishing where we use a really, really long rod. It's uh, nine feet long. And instead of using like worms, for example, we use what, what are called flies and they imitate bugs, you know, that are on or live in the water. Yes, I'm going fly fishing uh, on a lake tomorrow. 
Um, and that that's the best way that that I've learned to disconnect. Like sometimes when I think I want to disconnect, I just want to do nothing. You know, you just want to sit and relax. But I also recognize that sometimes when you get on the water, and you just get outside. Um, it's very peaceful. You know, you're just your mind is just kind of focused right on like exactly what you're doing. And that's trying to catch your massive fish. And so uh, that's my goal for tomorrow. Uh, we're going to get up really early and hit the water right at sunrise and um, hopefully catch a big one. So explain that to me because I never tried fishing. So maybe that's another, you know, secret passion yeah. of mine. I have, just have to try it once. But from all the movies, and from all the videos that I just, just seen, you know, it seems like you just, you just throw it in and then you just wait. Oh, yeah. Like, do you why- actually have to focus on like doing something while you're waiting or is the waiting time mostly used for conversation or thinking about something? So um, there is a type of fishing called spin casting and that's where you just see like there's like a little bobber right in the water and they're just waiting and they're just staring at it. And fly fishing is a little bit different because you have to make sure that the, that what you're imitating, like the bug that you're imitating looks exactly correct. Otherwise the fish won't eat it. Um, you know, if you're, if you're just have a worm in the water, I mean, worms look delicious to fish, they'll come up and eat it anyway, you know? Um, but you have to be very, very precise. If you're in a river, you have to watch how the, how it's flowing, you know, cause it has to look natural. You can't have it dragging along in the water because then the fish, you know, most fish aren't stupid, well, you know? And so you do have to pay very strict attention when you're fly fishing. There's a lot more action. Um, I don't want, well, action. There's a lot more activity where it's not just cast and wait. Um, you're repeatedly casting um, depending on what you're fishing. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more exciting than, um, than just sitting and waiting a little mm-hmm. bit. I see. Mm-hmm. How did you get to this? I actually started fishing when I was really little. My dad is a, is a big fisherman and he got us like a little Mickey mouse fly fishing rod and you would push, push his nose to like let out the line. And so I started fishing then. And then when I moved to Colorado, and I met my now husband, he was into fly fishing, which is just a different type of fishing. And he taught me that. And um, one thing about me is that I'm highly competitive. And as soon as I saw him catch a big fish, I was like, that's it. I'm catching a bigger one. Like I need to focus, like, give me the best tools. And so um, I got, well, I was gonna say I got hooked, but that's a lame pun talking right. about fishing. So. <laughs> Are you part of the fly fishing subreddit or something like that? <laughs> you know, um, I am. I'm not very active on it. Uh, my my husband does post like when he catches uh, fish. Um, and um, yeah, I've, I was a longtime lurker on Reddit. Um, I joined Reddit like, I don't know, five or six years ago. Um, and mainly I, I like to look at um, communities that are about either the Green Bay Packers um or um like my favorite tv show or whatever tv show i'm binging or like something i'm reading because there are a lot of communities where people are talking about books and series and things like that mm-hmm. and so yeah i don't i don't post too much my my husband has picked up photography on the side and so whenever i catch a big fish we do what's called uh, a gripping grin where you grip the fish out of the water and you grin and you uh take a picture and so um I don't know. I, I like, I do like fishing, but it's, it's not for everybody. Some people do find it boring. Right. Right. It's part of the, I don't know, the, the tradition to, to 
to always throw the fish back after you take a picture or do you eat it? So because I live in Colorado, there are protected waters here uh, where you do have to let them go. Uh, You're not allowed to take them. And so you always have to do your research before you go fishing so that you know exactly Mm -hmm. like what are the rules Mm -hmm. of the water you're fishing. And so we mainly catch trout and I've tried cooking trout, but I hate it. Like I'm just, (laughs) I'm not good at it. So it's not for me. So we typically do throw them all back. Okay, so that was that was a good fishing segment. <laughs> <laughs> See, but it's also related to your to your childhood. It's something that you carried over. But I guess in your case it's different because I assume that you kept go fishing since childhood or did you have like a long break and then you got back to it? Well, I mean, I fished a couple of times in college uh, mm. with some friends. But um, there is definitely a long break just because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it as regularly because I was in school. I started working, you know, it's just, it didn't have the time. Um, and also I didn't have the money either for a long time. Fishing is expensive, like getting all the rods and the reels and like all the gear, because um, like we have full waders and boots so that we can stand in the water. It's all very expensive. So it took me a while to save up for everything as well. Okay. What's something that people seem to misunderstand about you? And I think it's related to what we were talking about because we were talking about the first impression. So I guess maybe to rephrase the question is, let's say people meet you in the workplace workplace or in person, and they, I don't know, have some first impression about you. But after the time, like once they get to know you, they're like, oh, like that's definitely not Stephanie. Like what I initially thought. It's a great question. I would say that I'm generally very, very friendly, but I'm also very assertive as well. Um, My nickname at my last company was the Bulldog. So, (laughs) and it all came apart because I, you know, when I, when I started at Alteryx, we, um, the team had, had tried localization for their product and it basically, they were, they were scraping all of the code bases uh, and compiling all the strings into an Excel file emailing it over to a translation vendor and then manually updating it. And it was just, um, they, they weren't following necessarily like the best practices of software localization. I think it's a standard say. practice for many companies. Still. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the big issues is that we were able to retroactively resolve some of the, the bugs, but when teams were writing new features, they weren't thinking about localization. And so um, I would go up to meetings. I'd be like, hi, everyone. I'm joining the meeting today. Did you think about localization? And they used to say that they wanted, you know, uh, Build-A-Bear where you can record your voice. There's a company where you can like build a bear, like a, a teddy bear, and you can record something where you, when you squeeze its hand, it will say. I think I saw it on Shark Tank. Maybe, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But basically the the head of product wanted to record my voice of, did you think about localization? <laughs> because I would say it all of the time. And it got to a point where like, if engineers saw me walking up to their desk, they would try to run away. <laughs> they okay. know I would need something. And so, um, you know, getting the nickname of Bulldog, I, I found it a little endearing because it talks, I think it is a good reflection of my personality because I'm right. a huge advocate for localization, but I'm also friendly. Like I'm not like super vicious, but when I'm talking about my work, I can be very, very direct and assertive. And some people can 
I have received feedback that people have taken that negatively. And so I've had to try to resolve that unintentional, like abrasiveness almost, but I'm still a little bit of a bulldog. (laughs) I was going to ask you, like, if you learned something from, from that experience, like engineers running away from you. (laughs) I mean, I love it. I don't, it doesn't bother me because, um, because they, they know that I need something. And the learning experience for me was that a lot of times localization is not necessarily their priority because they have their own priorities. Like they have their own backlog of work and you have to uh, show teams their impact. And so one of the things that I did, so even if they kept running away, they would understand like the value that they're providing the business. And so there was one team in particular that resolved a bug that was uh, pertinent to our Japanese uh, customers because it related to multi-byte character sets. And I got feedback from the Japanese team after it was, was resolved that a customer was so thankful. They wrote a really ni- ma- nice message. And I passed that along to the engineering team and said, thank you guys so much. The customers are so happy. And so even if they see me coming and they know I need them to like work on something, they can at least understand the impact that their work is having on our international business and on our customers. And so I try to circle it back uh, to demonstrate their value, um, or I try to give them recognition um, at the company level where I might, um, there's some companies that will do like spot awards where they went above and beyond. And so um, I also would do that where I would recommend them for a small bonus because they thought like internationally and they really helped us you know, push that lever. And so um, even if they ran away, I, I still tried to find ways to make it a positive experience. And so that's what I've learned is like, how do you help them like see um, what they're working on is important. So what is actually the thing that people misunderstand about you? Is it like your first impression is the friendly one or the bulldog one? I think it depends on, on how do we meet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I would say most of the time I, I, I am, uh, I think it's the friendly one, like during Halloween. Um, I, have you seen like those T-Rex costumes mm-hmm. where they like blow up and you run around mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. So I used to do that and I would like tiptoe like past <laughs> offices and like, I'm also super weird. And so like, I try to be friendly and stuff. And so sometimes people forget that I can like, you know, get like super direction and, focused on like localization when I need to, because I can also be like playful and, and, and weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going back to what we were discussing earlier is that like, you know, like once you meet someone, you try to understand their communication style. Mm-hmm. So do you mm-hmm. think like somebody, somebody, I think from Moravia, somebody from HR gave me this recommendation that maybe I'm talking about you now <laughs> in, in your case, like, do you think it would be, well, talking about you as an example, but let's, let's make it general for everyone. Like, let's say that you know that you are a friendly person, but you also can be a bulldog and very assertive and straight, mm-hmm. straight to the point. Sometimes do you think it's like a good, good practice to, when you meet someone for the first time to tell them this, like in advance, or do you just wait for it to happen, which may result in some, I don't know, surprise for them? No, I don't, I don't really tell them in advance, you know, um, I, but let, let's say, let's say, let's say you're a marketing leader and I'm about, and this is our first introduction because you need localization. 
support. I will say that I'm very friendly, but I'm direct in that, like, I will tell you exactly what we need in order to be successful. Um, and so I, I think it's a mixture of like, um, being friendly and nice and welcoming and, and like a kind person, but also getting straight to the point. So I think, I think there's always a little bit of that assertiveness within me because I don't like to waste people's time. Um, and I like to be respectful in that manner. Um, but I also, um, I like to ensure that everybody goes into a meeting knowing exactly what we're talking about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and comes away knowing exactly what do we have to do next. And mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. part of that directness, I think, is inherent to my communication style personally. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if it's ever necessarily a surprise. Um, I think more people, especially remotely, you don't get like people's quirks, you know. Um, and like when I was uh, in the office um, for the first time when I went to San Francisco at the beginning of was it last month? Gosh, I don't even know. You know, people didn't realize like how competitive I am. Like mm -hmm. we were doing, uh, we were running a play test and like um, trying to uh, test our mobile app. And so I was just like, okay, I found this bug, this bug and this bug, what prize do I win? And I'm like, there's no prize. I'm like, are you joking? Like what? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I think it's fun. Like when you get to learn more aspects of a person where you don't have to be like, this is who I am day one, you know, mm. where you get that opportunity to, to learn more about somebody. I think, I think it's part of like the ride. Do you think that competitiveness of yours? And the reason why I'm asking is because I maybe also consider myself to be competitive. Do you think that it sometimes led to damaging relationships? Yeah, of course. Definitely. Mm. It's because it's like one of, it is probably one of my like biggest strengths um, but it can also, I don't want to say it's necessarily a weakness, but it can also have negative consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, my competitiveness is, is not to beat you. It's really more for me to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I will use you as like a guiding point of like, okay, this, this, is, this is like the the standard, right? And like, right, how right, do I make right. myself the best version? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that ties into my desire to constantly be learning new things. Like, I think it's all intrinsically related um, in that uh, I have a certain drive for excellence, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily perfection, but excellence. Mm -hmm. That's another important thing to me. <laughs> like, how, how do you distinguish between being perfectionist and like just excelling at something? I think, I think if you're trying to achieve perfection, you won't ever get it. And I think if you're instead trying to achieve excellence, that you will get farther um, in, in whatever it is that you're working towards. Like to me, I'm not the type of person who, where I want to be the smartest person in the room. Absolutely not. Because if I'm the smartest person in the room, then I'm not challenging myself. I'm not learning. I'm stagnating at that point. And so I always want to surround myself with people I can learn from who are better than me um, so that I can keep moving towards excellence. And if you, if you are moving towards perfection, I think you're always going to let yourself down because there's always something more that you can learn. There's always something that you can improve upon, whether it's personally, professionally, emotionally, whatever it is, like there's always going to be something missing. But when you are motivated to be the best version of yourself, that's how you keep on um, achieving 
your end goals and you can keep pushing yourself further. My notorious question, what do you think is wrong with our industry? The first thing that comes to mind is I don't think there's enough value um, given to the, the linguists. Um, I think depending on where you are, some of them, you know, get really poor rates where I've seen people talk about this on LinkedIn, especially um, of, you know, companies are just trying to give them pennies on a dollar, you know, um, and they're just not appreciated. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll get the recognition at, at my company, but I'm not the one translating right. and doing all of these work, you know? Um, and so I wish there was an opportunity to better learn who's actually doing this work, especially when you're working with an LSP, you don't always have direct access to the linguist. And so I wish I could like, you know, showcase, like, let's say we launched a new language. I could be like, this person was instrumental in doing this and giving them the recognition. And I think that's just something that's missing where everything is, is either on like the vendor's name, like, like the big LSPs, but not the linguists themselves. But, but why would it not be possible? Because in, in my opinion, like it's the clients who kind of like dictate, like, like if you as a client came to your LSPs and would be like, Hey, we want to, I don't know, publicly, like share who were the linguists who help us, I don't know, translate this new feature. Do you think they would be opposed to that? I don't, I don't know. Um, I will say that the times where I've tried to have direct communication with the linguist, I've been told no. Um, I will say that's not true of the current LSP that we partner with. Um, and I, and I don't, and it's not that I don't think it's possible. I think a lot of people don't think to do it myself included, you know, in my previous time where we were launching and we got, for example, when I was at Altrix and we launched into Japan and we had the Japanese uh, flagship product available, like that could have been a perfect opportunity for me to do that. And I didn't think about it. And so I think there's just a little bit more accountability that we need to have um, on the client side as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like, especially like with Reddit, it, you know, like just, just create some subreddit or something like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like these are the Reddit users that helped us translate these features. Something like that. I think it would perfectly go well with, with Reddit and what Reddit is for. Well, I, I, I do agree that, I mean, with social media these days and like being able to connect with others on LinkedIn um, and giving people like that visibility, um, you know, even if it's um, like, there's recommendations on LinkedIn that you can do for other people. And, being able to, to think about, about all of the people that had an impact on your project and help make it successful. I think it's an easy thing to do. And, and um, now that we're talking about it, it's something that I will try to do um, because, uh, you know, it's about holding yourself accountable. Like, again, like I did not do this and, and I'm, I was part of the problem, you know? <laughs> and so I would love to see, I'd love to encourage like major, buyer companies, like particularly in the tech industry, um, you know, we can make the change and, and give the, and give those people the recognition. Good. We did something good. (laughs) All right. A lot of the people struggle with this question, but maybe you will come up with something. Okay. What is the absurd or stupid thing that you do? That, that let's say most of the people would like when, when they see you do it, they would be like, are you crazy or something like that? But for you, it's like very normal. Like in relation to what? Like at work? Anything. You, it can be also personal. It doesn't have to be work. 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I mean, there, there are definitely like weird things that I do. But I think that's, I don't, I don't know if people would think I'm crazy. I have, I like to have dance parties with my cat. Okay. <laughs> I haven't heard that one that I would consider that quite crazy. Yes. So yeah, please so, describe what does it mean? Dance party. Well, I was like, you were saying dance party. I was like, mm, that sounds normal. And then with a cat. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you know, um, like, let's say, let's say you're having a couple of drinks on a Friday night and uh-huh. you have music playing. You're just having okay. a good time. I will pick up my cat and we will dance together. Uh-huh. And he, he loves it. And his little head will just bop back and forth. And I've done it with him ever since he was a kitten. Like, you know, some cats are more skittish and they don't like to be held or whatever. I can do like anything I can. I don't want to say throw because I don't throw him, but like um, we have dance parties and um, yeah. And there's, there's videos of it. So maybe one day I will, I will share, but um, yeah, I just like to have fun. So I don't know. Okay, I, I, I smell a new subreddit for that. <laughs> <laughs> dance parties with cats. Okay, yeah, but that that's good. I think I think uh, there was a very dramatic, you know, like um, introduction to this, but you were like initially like, mm, which one? <laughs> then then you dropped I, I the just, cat. <laughs> I just don't know. Like, there's like at work, I just don't can't think of anything that I do that people are like, you're crazy. I mean, besides me running around in a T Rex costume. You know, like there's no, not. I, I, th- I really think like the dance party with the cat is, is one of the best things that I've heard. <laughs> so yeah, even like your competitive spirit can be can be satisfied because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stephanie, so we're getting to the to the end of our interview, and this is my final question. So, okay. what would be your final parting words for everyone in the industry? So, if if you had like the opportunity to say one thing to everyone in the industry. What would it be? Dum dum dum. Dum 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 dum. I would say for for everybody, is it everybody in the industry or is it everybody like on the buyer side, the side of the industry? Because what I would say would be different depending on that. Okay. Let's say for everybody. For everybody, I would say, I guess this is this could be generic too, is to recognize and cherish your own value. Um, whether it's as a person, as a uh, coworker, you know, as an employee, um, I think a lot of times localization doesn't always get uh, the visibility that it needs unless there's a problem. Um, like if there's a bad translation that gets escaped or, or something like that. Um, and so you won't always get the recognition that you might deserve. And so I think you should always remember um, your own personal value. Um, mm-hmm. Is there something that you would say to the buyers? To the buyers, I would always say, uh, it's kind of, I think this is what I first mentioned is to learn your business. Uh, Because when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know when people, leadership would ask me, well, where should you, where should you report into? You know, like, should you be in product? Should you be in marketing? Should you be in operations? Like there is not, there is not one box that localization fits in at every company. And it's up to you to define what that looks like once you learn all the areas of your business and what you're trying to achieve. And so like I, when I first started, I was looking for that box of like, what's the right answer? Like, what should I be doing next? And 
there isn't a there isn't the right answer and you have to figure that out yourself there's a lot of guidance and there are a lot of people i've seen a lot of um vp roles opening up director level roles of localization and so i think it's definitely growing within companies and there's a lot of people to learn from um but there's just there's not a box that that you're necessarily going to fit in and you have to define define that yourself Thank you, Stephanie, for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again. No, thank you so much. This was really fun. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I, I hope that you take away uh, that I'm not some like weird, competitive, bulldog. <laughs> crazy bulldog person. Um, but, you know, um, I, I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed my time. And thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.